Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of Edge 4K Podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about how advisors can prepare for those 401k potential client meetings, which are always fun. Um, go to that 401k site.com. I think we got uh, sign-up pages for that 4K National Virtual Conference and the, that 4K Virtual Plan Sponsor Conference. And uh, on June... Uh, June 15th, I want to say, um, that would be a Thursday, June 15th, we got the, uh, that 4K, uh, uh, virtual bunch, retirement plan roundtable, Bill Shores, James Holland, Mike Webb and I, um, should be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll, you know, we could find, uh, on the site and LinkedIn and, the emails that I always send out to sign up for free, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you can't make it, it will be on YouTube later that day. A um, lot of fun. I I always, you know, I always have a lot of fun. Um, talking over with Larry about, you know, that 4K conference for 2024. I think we'll probably do one or two. We're certainly going to hit New York. We're probably going to more, I think if we come back and do it, we're going to focus more on the cities where we think we can get the best uh, turnout and the best uh, plant provider support. So probably focus on some of the larger cities. New York is home. Probably do one in New York or go back to MetLife Stadium. We'll see what we can do. It was really difficult. Uh, Yankee Stadium just made the whole process of planning these events just not fun. You know, going for two months trying to pin down a cost and it was only a couple weeks ago that the woman come back to us with the costs involved which were a little on the high end we probably could have dealt with it but you know I wanted an event in June a tie-in with the Red Sox uh, coming into town and it just it can't work out and I told you know it, it I think it's I think it's really annoying when dealing with it's not just venues but any type of provider and you say, this is what I want, and this is what I need, and they just completely ignore you. Um, so I told the woman at Yankee Stadium, I said, listen, we need four months uh, time to properly plan the event. And the four months are really mainly getting uh, support from other plant providers. And, you know, totally ignore me. And then she comes back, well, you know, end of, I think it was the end of April or maybe early May, like, hey, you know, you still want to do this event in June? I'm like, Listen, I told you way back when, last November or whatever it was that I needed four months, and that's what happens. I mean, people are – it's just amazing sometimes that people are just – you're in the service business and you just forget to service anything. Um, you know, recently I'm, I'm looking at my backyard patio, which we redid um, over the Memorial Day weekend, and uh, – it's probably the last project we'll do in the house, hopefully, unless something breaks and whatnot. And, I mean, the biggest problem, uh, we found um, the greatest, you know, Mason, um, just somebody right off the bat. I met it within five minutes. I wanted to hire the guy. But what was the most difficult part of the project wasn't doing the project or paying for the project. It was people showing up to give a friggin' estimate. But that that's that's you know unfortunately the nature of business. Um, um, sometimes you just have a hard time when it comes to the retirement plan business. Uh, I I don't find um, 
I don't find plan providers that difficult when they see a potential client. They just they jump at the chance. I don't see anybody blowing anybody off. And I got blown off by three different uh, construction companies, Masons, and uh, you know I just did find one that um, you know was really um, fantastic. It did a great job. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's a whole another thing. So go to that for information. And now let's get to the uh, topic at hand. And I've been a big fan of the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I didn't see it in the theaters. That was a 92 movie. 92, I was in college. Didn't see a lot of movies in college. Did a lot of other things and being involved with the school paper and all that. Uh, what are we watching? I remember at the Stony Brook movie theater. I think I, I think I might have seen uh, Malcolm X in the theater. I think I see it, saw the movie Falling Down. And um, maybe Naked Gun 33 and a third or something. And, and, and that was about it. Um, just really just did see movies. And Glengarry Glen Ross was a movie that uh, I would see all the time on pay-per-view. Because my parents back in the day in, in Brooklyn would have one of those funny cable boxes that gave you every single channel, including all the pay-per-views. So... Um, that's 30 some odd years ago, so I think the statute of limitations for that criminal acts have long passed due. That was a movie, was always on, uh, was always on, um, pay per view, and I think I've seen it a few times. And one of the interesting parts of the Glenn Gargan Ross movie is it's based on a David Mamet, uh, David Mamet play, and the scene that everybody talks about, Alec Baldwin wasn't. In the play, uh, the movies, the movie role um, where he's sent down from Mitch and Murray on a mission of mercy. Um, he plays a character by the name of Blake, which I don't think people remember that that was the character's name. You know, what's my name? <laughs> you know, F you, that's my name. Um, it was specifically written for Alec Baldwin. It wasn't in the play. Alec, uh, I think at one point, wanted the Ricky Roma part, and I think Al Pacino had turned it down. They were going to give it to Alec, and then Al Pacino got it, so it was, always Al, it was always Al Pacino's role, and they wanted to bring in Alec uh, for a part, and so he goes in there, and he's, you know, I think it's a fantastic scene, you know, coffee is for closers, um, you know, uh, 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 this, you know, First prize is Cadillac, second prize is the Snake Knives, third prize, third prize you're fired, and, you know, um, just making fun of, uh, uh, what's his name's character, Ed Harris's character, and, you know, you drove a Hyundai, while well, I drove an $80,000 car, and, you know, this is my Rolex, blah, 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 yeah, it was just hilarious stuff, and it always reminds me of, you know, always be closing, and being a financial advisor and meeting potential clients is always a difficult process. And the problem why it's a difficult process, it takes so damn long. Um, and how do I know this? Um, again, Rich Larita, who I worked for for about, you know, almost 10 years uh, at two TPAs, especially in the Geller days, who would bring me over to a lot of sales meetings and you'd see how long the process was. And it wasn't easy. And I was with Rich and, you know, most of the time, he was working with brokers, so I was with the advisor, and I was on meetings where things went very well, and I was at a meeting 
with advisor where the guy wanted to the the client on the 401k plan wanted the advisor to work on their individual accounts and not the big you know 401k plan where he had all the all the assets so um this is really you know this episode is really about you know when you have that set potential client meeting and um, you know what you can do and, and how to engage and all that stuff and in terms of you know lining you know landing client meetings obviously you know referrals and relationships um, you know in, in my business referrals are not I you know I don't get clients more directly plan sponsors I, I get them usually through referrals from you know other plan providers this morning uh, you know, I usually record on Tuesdays around 9 a.m. or 8 o'clock in the morning, but today it's, it's it's almost noon, and that's because I was on um, and I uh, I was on a Department of Labor interview for 90 minutes with a, a client that was referred to me by a TPA. So this is all about when you have that client meeting set and. I think the number one thing is to always be prepared. You can't go there in cold. Um, when I do my podcast, you can tell that I'm going in cold because sometimes I lose my train of thought and whatnot. You can't go in cold. You got to be prepared. Um, you know, it really, you know, you get a leg up in the competition. And to be prepared is to really understand the client. No, no two clients are the same. Everybody's got different wants and needs. Um, Obviously, you know, how you handle a law firm is different how you handle a, a pizza restaurant if they actually had a 401k plan. I use a pizza restaurant because my daughters work at the local pizzeria and they don't have a 401k plan. And I don't think Joe, who owns the place, is ever going to put in a 401k plan because he's probably never going to pass uh, testing. Um, it's just, you know, this, this, when you have a lot of low-paid people. Uh, it's very, very hard uh, when you're in a law firm and you got a lot of high-paid associates you could play around, as they say in plain design. But here are some of the basic things that I think the advisors need to do to be prepared for these meetings. Number one, you know, obviously print out the copy of the latest uh, Forms 5500 from the Department of Labor's EFAS website. Um, this, you know, episode is based on something I don't even, you know, I, I sometimes... Right now, like with topics and articles, I wouldn't say I'm running out of ideas, but kind of the best way to come up with ideas nowadays is look to, you know, old pieces that I wrote years and years ago. Like, you know, just blog posts and see how I can take that and make it into a bigger thing. And I recently came across a really old I don't want to say article, but one of the TPAs out there took something that I said about these client meetings, and and it was funny. This part about the 5500s, it said to go to uh, freeerissa.com. And so I said, well, my, my God, that, that's old stuff. That must be in the old days before eFast and electronic filing and when you get, you know, not the latest 5500, but the one from the previous year. But you go to eFast, you get it. You know, obviously, uh, 5500s can tell a lot. You know, if there's no bond on the plan, that's certainly a problem. Uh, late deferral deposits, that's another problem. Um, 
you know, I always use the example of somebody who used one of the big, is it big four accounting firms paying $54,000 on limited scope audit. Um, you can see some, you know, a lot of glaring problems. Obviously, audited plans come up, you know, you'll find the audited statement. You probably could turn up something that would interest the client. And obviously, um, Form 5500 will tell you exactly who the other parties are, the TPA and custodian. And I always think that when you look at the TPAs, and this is more in the past than you so you see today, but you know, too often sometimes advisor gets onto the plan and the first thing they want to do is change the TPA because they want to move it to the TPA that they like. And uh, you know, there's no point rocking the boat if the TPA is doing a good job by the client. Stick with that TPA. Um, change for the sake of change is absolutely a bad idea. Change because. Uh, you know, better service and all that stuff, I understand. But back in the old days, uh, you know, again, working for a producing TPA, you'd get a broker that we would work with, and they eventually would move all the plans to us when it wasn't really necessary, in my opinion. And obviously, custodian and all that. Listen, see, you know, advisor, see who, who you can work with. Um, you know, in these days, it's a little bit easier than it was in those days. On certain platforms you couldn't work with, if you were a broker and this, this, and that, I think it's a lot easier to work uh, in these days. Obviously, um, use a benchmarking service or you know something out there to use to properly gauge the plan against its peers in terms of costs and whatever. Um, you know, the plan sponsor client, uh, well, the potential client can certainly give you the fee disclosures that they get. And it kind of gives you a gist as to whether they're um, paying too much in, in fees and obviously that that would be a strong point for you to point out. Hey, by the way, you know, you're paying too much. Uh, you're paying too much in fees. Uh, your advisor is making 40 basis points and you really should be making 20, 25, that kind of stuff. Also, Ask the plan sponsor whether they have an investment policy statement. Um, again, I had this client meeting. It was a trustee-directed profit-sharing plan. Department of Labor asked for an IPS. It's not legally required, but obviously an IPS sets forth the fiduciary process. And obviously, plan sponsor doesn't have one. I think that's an issue. I think it's more an issue if they do have one and they don't follow it. Uh, that's, to me, a glaring problem. And, of course, you know, See if the advisor, you know, with the IPS or no IPS, do they are they part of the fiduciary process? Is there a process in place to review the funds to see who they should replace? Is there like a criteria to replace and maintain funds and all that kind of stuff? And uh, you know, uh, uh, written minutes are really important in my opinion. It sets forth the criteria. Uh, it's, you know, to me, it just sends, you know, it's just like a whole idea that, you know, it's a minutes are just, like I said, uh, evidence that the plan sponsor is following a prudent process. And it's a perfect thing, you know, Department of Labor asks, and here's the binder that has all our minutes. And you see, we did a really bang up job and, and whatnot. And um, obviously, um, Form 5500, also, you know, you could have talk about the ERISA bonds and make sure that 
There's enough coverage for the plan. A lot of plans don't update their ERISA bond coverage, so therefore they're not meeting that 10% minimum. Um, so that obviously that's a glaring error. And, uh, you know, I've seen plans audited because of that ERISA bond question. And again, you cover one non-owner employee, you're an ERISA-covered plan, you need a bond. That's it. Of course, fiduciary liability insurance is not required, but that's also a great conversation piece to have. Um, I think that plan sponsors that are ERISA-covered should have a fiduciary liability policy just because, just because of any type of problem or situation that comes down. Um, you're probably working with small to medium-sized plans. The liability concerns are a lot less than a larger plan, but still that doesn't stop a participant from trying to sue you. We've seen a lot of uh, litigation go downstream to smaller plans, and I think that will continue. Um, you know, you will still have ERISA litigators, some very unexperienced, non-experienced ERISA litigators trying to get a quick settlement out of a plan. And uh, that's why we certainly have fiduciary liability insurance policies in place and, and whatnot. Uh, obviously, another question for the potential plan sponsor meeting um, is, are they having administrative issues, failed testing? Um, we, you know, I, I was with Rich with a client, uh, an advisor, and that was the gist of the meeting. Plan consistently failed uh, the ADP test. The payroll provider never bothered to tell a client, by the way, if you put in a $7,500 QNEC, you could avoid the $12,000 refund that the owner of the company has to give. We did. We got the client, and uh, we put that client on a safe harbor plane design, and there was never a problem ever again. Um, obviously, um, there are a lot of plans out there that, you know, companies doing really well, and maybe they could afford a, a cross-tested allocation to their highly compensated employees. Too often, uh, too often, you have TPAs that just don't bother to talk to the client about, you know, the changes in the demographics of their company, the changes in their financial uh, aspects, um, their budget, and whatnot. And so therefore, their you know plan sponsors are essentially leaving money on the table. So that's a problem. Of course, um, it's important to ask uh, plan uh, sponsors whether they are education materials that are handed out to you know. Plan participants. I think ERISA 404C is one topic that plan sponsors aren't aware that their liability protection that they're supposed to get isn't unlimited. So therefore, if a plan sponsor doesn't provide any education materials, have you know participant education meetings, one-on-ones, and all that kind of jazz, that the potential liability protection is minimal. So that's obviously a problem. Um, you know. Plan participants need to be uh, to to basically be informed to make educated investment decisions, and you know when you're just giving a um, Morningstar profile and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't really really help. Um, and last but not least, 
I think it's also important for uh, you to get a whole um, look-see <laughs> of the mutual fund lineup for the plan sponsor. Uh, I've seen the, that being a glaring issue years ago. I did a review uh, for Advisor. It was meeting very well-known outdoor mall in uh, the northern part of Long Island. And the biggest problem was I'm a big fan of T. Rowe Price. This was a T. Rowe Price plan. Unfortunately for the plant sponsors, they had just too many T. Rowe Price funds in the lineup. You know, not only, I mean, that's a glaring problem, but, you know, other issues could be, again, you know, uh, the wrong share class and whatnot. Uh, that could be certainly problematic uh, for plan sponsors if they're in a uh, retail share class when institutional share classes are available. That's always a telltale sign that the plan's not running uh, optimally when they're playing, paying needlessly uh, for you know being in the wrong share class because their advisor just dropped the ball. And I mean. You know, that's what gets the larger plans in trouble. You know, it's a glaring, glaring problem. I mean, to me, I will always believe that, you know, even with active funds, I mean, uh, passive funds, uh, the alphabet soup uh, is something that I don't understand. Um, to me, you know, um, I think everybody should pay the same. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not in the mutual fund company. <laughs> I'm not in the mutual fund business where, you know, you make more revenue by, you know, charging, uh, you know, people with less assets more money because you need to make more money uh, in order to, to service that business. But, uh, you know, listen, I have a law firm practice where I charge everybody the same fee regardless of size. Uh, only thing I don't charge by the, you know, the only thing I charge by the hour are the audits. You know, like I said, I'm going through a Department of Labor audit. For the second time on the same plan, thanks to uh, some familial problems, that always gets you going. Family complaining and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of that 401k podcast. Tune in next week uh, for another episode. And of course, go to that 4 ksitecom for further information on all our events. Thanks. Bye.